before we get to anything else. Do you know the last time that Ash Wednesday occurred on Valentine's Day, February the 14th? Do you know the last time? Anybody remember it? 19? No, that's made up. Um, you got an answer? Oh, no, stop, 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 stop. You're looking at my notes. That's so dirty. Of, and a teacher of all things. 1945. 1945, the last time that Ash Wednesday and Valentine's were on the same day. Now, here's what's crazy, uh, is that it happens three times this year, and then two more times in the next decade, it happens. Same, same thing, right? Same. The church will be standing up and saying, you should come to Ash Wednesday. Forget the love of your life. Come to church and be told how terrible you are. That's what Ash Wednesday is. And it uh, um, happens three times in these, these like, uh, coming, coming decade. And then it doesn't happen again for the rest of the century. I didn't get, I, I stopped looking at the year 2100, um, but then I paused and thought, there will be people in this building today that will be around in the year 2100. How about that? Everybody stop and say, I'm old and they're not. <laughs> but it's true. That's crazy to think. That's crazy to think. Yeah. <clears throat> we, have, uh, we have been uh, advancing our way through a book uh, the quest for holiness, and we've been on our own quest of, of trying to seek out uh, what God's purpose is and, 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 and what does happiness look like and, and how is holiness connected to that. And we've, uh, we've now, we're in our sixth week of working through this book, and, and we find ourselves um, <clears throat> now past uh, the truth of, of being made in God's image, past the fall, past the, 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 the devastating sand piles of sin that cloud our vision, that, 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 that mess with us. Past all of these things, we, we, we've turned our hearts back to God and we are, we are asking the question, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to empower our growth? This is where we are. This is where we are. We, we, had, uh, we had Cub Scouts in church last week and um, I've, I've, I've been thinking back to those good years. I, I, was, uh, I, think, I think I was about age 16, and my dad twists my arm uh, that even though I had ach- achieved the highest rank in scouting, I needed to go to, Cub Scout, I mean, to Boy Scout camp yet another year. And so for another summer, I don't know, six or seven summers in a row, I went off to uh, Camp Blue Heron on the coast of Georgia outside of the metropolis of Riceboro, Georgia. Anybody know Riceboro? Oh, uh, if you don't know Riceboro, have you ever driven down I-95? Anybody ever been on I-95? I mean, raise your hand. Have you ever been on I-95, Interstate 95? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been through a section that smells really bad? <clears throat> yes. Then welcome to Camp Blue Heron. Uh, the, the, official, the official mascot was the sand gnat, um, <clears throat> and, uh, which is awesome because the mosquito nets don't prevent the sand gnats from getting in. But here I am. I'm like 16 years old or something, and I'm sure I'm completely grown. And, uh, and I'm off at camp, and I have no more, no more like merit badges I have to earn. So I sign up for the funnest ones, and that afternoon on that first day, Monday of that year, so many years ago, I, uh, I find myself down at the dock where I had been so many times before. Uh, there was a big, big lake there that was in this shape. You can still find it on Google Maps, and uh, it has alligators in it, and uh, the scouts swim, the, the mile swim in an alligator-infested lake, com- completely true. I got my lifeguarding certification there, but this particular week, I took a sailing class. Everybody go, woo. 
See, because I am not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, Kenny Bunkport, one of the Bush family or Kennedy family, kind of, I'm not that. And yet, I tell you what, after about an hour of, of, of learning the basics, they send us out on these seven or eight foot long little Hobie Cat sailboats with just a, a single sheet tied to them. They're not much longer than a person, you know, some kind of material. And we got into the middle of a lake and the wind blows for the first time. And, and I know I sound like a preacher, but I'm telling you, if you've ever been on a sailboat, if you've ever been in charge of a sailboat and the wind blows for the first time, sing the doxology. Because, and I, I, mean, I mean completely serious, as a 16-year-old, convinced that my life trajectory was to be a college basketball coach, I knew in that moment that not only was there a God, but he was powerful and amazing. There is something about being in a craft that you're in charge of and you have the sail just in the right place and all of a sudden the wind hits it and I mean it's just like this push. For quite some time, writers in the church have suggested that, that, that spiritual growth really is like a sailor and the wind. The, the thing is, and we all know this, right? You all know this, that the, the sailor cannot control the wind. Nod your heads. We know that you, you, you can't try. I mean, you know, you, you just, it has no effort, no effort. And yet, and yet, the sailor does have freedom to respond to the wind. This is the truth. We, we have the freedom to, I would argue, three choices. We have the freedom as the sailor to first ignore the wind, right? We call this canoeing, right? You can ignore the wind. It has, it has no bearing on you. Number two, you can fight the wind. God knows I have. But number three, you can submit to the wind. You can submit to the wind. This, this is this this. This really brilliant metaphor for, for the power of God and our response. I, all my years, I will never forget that, that euphoria of being in the bottom of a little boat and the wind blowing and catching the sail and literally just... Because in that moment, all things were working together for good. This is, this is how David Long refers to, this, uh, to this, this two-part relationship. God's role is prior, primary, and beyond our ability to achieve. Nevertheless, I mean, here, here's the thing. God's first. God's m- most important, m- most primary, most powerful. And we cannot be God, though we all try, and we will do that again before the end of the day, I'm sure. God is first, and yet, and yet we have a role as well. This is what he says. I I, I would say it this way, that, that spiritual growth is powered by God, but requires our submission. Peter says this in, uh, in, 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 in one of his letters. Peter says, in view of all of this, 
Make every effort to respond to God's promises. This is, okay, in Scott's language, what is Peter saying? Peter's saying, you have choices. One, two, and three. Don't choose one or two. That's what Peter's saying. In in, in view of everything we know, don't ignore it. Don't fight it, but submit to it. I invite you to turn to the scriptures to me and uh, with me and, uh, and, and listen to how Paul expounds on this. In one of the, in one of the really powerful places, I, uh, uh, I did the math this morning. It's the ninth chapter of the New Testament. It is the letter to the churches in Galatia, also known as Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. This is, uh, this is what Paul is saying to the church. And I believe it resonates with this imagery of of the wind filling our sails. I say be guided by the Spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the spirit and the spirit is set against one's selfish desires. What's he talking about? He's talking about option one, he's really talking about option two. This, this, this idea that, that we can fight it. This idea that, that somehow we, 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 have, we have somehow more knowledge or more power or more wisdom or more instinct and that we can set the sail just right and that we can go against the wind. He says, they are opposed to each other. So you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. But if you are being led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. And every young person in the room says, woohoo, I want some of that, right? In fact, you know what I'm saying, right? I, I, hey, preacher, Scott, whatever you call yourself, sign me up for not being under the law. I mean, that's That's what he says. Now, I want to put a big old giant red pen in this for a minute because I think what, not that I've ever done this, I think what Paul does is he interrupts his thought and and he fills it with a little in between and we're going to get back to what he means by that. But for now, he says to be led by the Spirit means not being under the law. That's what he says. But he goes on. The actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, drug use and casting spells, hate, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, and I really get hurt on this one with my um, feelings toward a certain university in Clark County, group rivalry, Athens is in Clark County. You, you know, you like work in Clark County. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> My brother was born in Clark County. Honest is truth. And we've had rivalry ever since. <clears throat> Jealousy, drunkenness, partying, and other things like that. I warn you, as I have already warned you, that those who do these kinds of things won't inherit God's kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, now he's come back, he's come back. 
He's given us a list of all of the, all of the outcomes, all of the results, all of the choices we make when we choose to, to, to fight the leading of God, to, 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 to ignore and just disregard the Spirit, option one. He's given us this long list, but he comes back and ties it together and says, here's the thing. There is no law when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. There is no law against things like this. Well, of course there's not. Of all the laws you know, think about them. For, for motor vehicles, right? For, 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 for finances, for banking, of all the laws you know, of all the laws you know, if we lived by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, how many of the laws that you're thinking of are still required? Do you agree with me that our need for laws would be greatly diminished, maybe even eradicated? He said, we don't. He wraps up by saying, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified self with its passions and its desires. That's option three. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. That's option three. Let's not become arrogant, make each other angry, or be jealous of each other. I have to believe that uh, that last verse, he's taken one more shot at some of the people he knows in these churches and returning them uh, one more time to the earlier list that he had pointed out. This This is the word of God for we, the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. I believe that Peter, I believe that Paul, I I believe that the early giants of the faith understood that the power of God, that the spirit of God is blowing constantly. Now, like like a fan that oscillates, we we can't pin it down. It doesn't always blow in the same direction, but it is blowing constantly. And that our choices between ignoring it, fighting it, and submitting it to it are, 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 are powerful determiners of where we will end up. We stand at a crossroads. And at the, and, and, and at the horizon, the destination of following our selfish desires is not one that any of us want to end up at. And yet, in the short time, in the short run, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he wrote, a, he, he, he wrote and preached and wrote and preached and wrote and preached. One of, probably one of the most, uh, uh, most prolific writers of, of the 1700s. He, uh, he wrote one of the sermons that was published late in his life, a couple years before he died, in 1789. It was called, uh, The Causes of the Inefficacy of Christianity, which is a fancy word for uh, the causes for Christianity's ineffectiveness. And in the sermon, he asks a question. He says, considering all the good that Christianity is about, how come it is poor at bringing about real change in the world? How come the goodness of Christianity hasn't eliminated more sin in the world? Everybody kind of say it's a good question. John Wesley asked this question 200 and something years ago. How come? And this is what he determines. This is, this is the summary of his sermon. 
He says, he says that, that for all of the Christian doctrine we have, we have not paired it with Christian discipline. I'll tell you this, in my life as a preacher, I am very guilty of that. Now, I'm guilty in my life as a person on the regular, but in my life as a preacher, one of the things that I look back and repent of is the broken idea that my job is to stand in front of you and give you more information. Not you so much, but certainly churches that I've served in the past, that somehow, that somehow the church's job is to give us more information. You know, if, if, if you'll just memorize the list and get more information, and if you'll just always know, you know, that pi is 3.14 something, 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 then you're going to be good, right? More information. But here's the truth. The truth is, we don't need more information. We need to do, we need to do what we know. I mean, the answer to Wesley's question is that, is that the is that the church filled with Christians knows what to do and doesn't do it. And then he says this. This is actually in the sermon. And if you'll stick your toes out a little bit so I can have easier access to them, this is what John Wesley says. In the year 1789, I fear wherever riches have increased, the essence of religion has decreased in the same proportion. That's a mathematical concept of when one thing goes up, the other thing is going down. Therefore, I do not see how it is possible in the nature of things. He might have been a little pessimistic this day. For any revival of religion to continue long. For religion must necessarily produce both industry and frugality. And these cannot but produce riches. He's saying if you follow the the, the wisdom of God, if you you read the Bible and implement it in your life, you are going to amass money. He says that. And it's true. It's true, there's a guy in Tennessee named Dave Ramsey that's making money off of that truth. And if you, if you haven't learned what he's teaching, you need to. But he, but he goes on to say, but, but he goes on to say, as riches increase, so will pride and anger and love of the world in all its branches. Back in November, uh, Gary Cox and I stood in front of you. We were not wearing the exact same shirt like we are today. <clears throat> Everybody look at him. Yeah, that's a good looking dude right there. You wear it better than I do. We stood in, in front of the congregation back in November. And, uh, and, I, and I, I had a, a, a singular message. And that is that God gives us possessions. God gives us money. For the purpose of us growing in our trust of him. God gives us money and possessions for the purpose of us growing in him. In fact, we, we, we flashed up that, that first chart. Uh, Gary filled all these numbers in. You can see them. They, uh, they, they are ascending. And uh, in the fine print underneath, it's, it's, uh, it's just a breakout of, uh, of, of what dollar range per week or month that different household in the church is giving back to the church in ways that we can trace. There's some folks that give a little bit of cash here and there, and, and they might not get credit for it because if, uh, if you don't attach your name to it in an envelope or it's not on a check, we, we can't trace that. But, uh, but by and large, this is a very accurate portrayal of 
where, of where people are in their giving. And then you flip it over and you see um, on the back of the handout that we gave people, uh, we, we, we suggested that God's word provides a plan. And all we're doing is passing along God's plan. And God's plan is simply this, that we would return up to 10% or more. We would return a portion of what he's given us because he gives it to us so that we would grow in our trust of him. And on that Sunday morning, I remember it perfectly, three months ago. On that Sunday morning, every person in the room kept their poker face on. Despite the fact that there were people in the room that were thinking to themselves, you need to get back in your lane, preacher. I like Gary, and you seem like a decent guy, Scott, but you need to stop talking about my money because you've gone to meddling where you don't belong. And that's fine. That's fine. You can think that. Because, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Jesus, of all of the topics he ever preached on, faith and heaven and sin, it's not like Jesus spoke more often about money and possessions than he did any other topic. It's not like that's true. It is. It's not like of all of the parables and all the stories and all of the amazing examples Jesus used in his ministry that one out of every four of them was explicitly on the topic of stewarding the money and possessions we have received. It's not like that's true. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But you can be mad at me all you want for meddling. But, But here's the thing. We we want the power of God to blow in our lives. But when it comes to one of the primary ways that Jesus lifts up, that God is working in our lives by blessing us, we're standing on the edge of that boat, and we're not ignoring it. We're fighting it. And and here's the thing, because I'm getting fired up. That was me. I mean, it still is me, but that was me back in the day. Go, go back to that other chart, Randy, the one with all the pretty colors. See, I mean, this, this, this far section over here with 1% and 2% and 3%. I've told you that story. I remember the first time I signed over a pledge card. It was the day I got hired at the church in Fayetteville to be their youth minister. I remember, that was 1999. I remember that. I remember I wrote, across, wrote down a terrible little number to go along with the salary they were paying me and I looked at Joyce Mucha in the eyes and I just was like embarrassed I remember that but but here's the deal God's not judging me on that day God is judging us on where we're going and I'm not I'm not at one percent anymore Julie and I got married we're not two percent we're we've moved up the ladder and I will tell you that the power of God is real. The boat is being moved forward. My growth is happening. My trust of God is growing. When the first check I write each month, it's the only check I basically write each month because everything else is by card or cash, is to the church for an amount that's greater than 10% of what we make. We're on a quest to find holiness and happiness. It's not too late 
for 2018 to be a year in which you choose option three. That you submit to the power of God blowing, God's Holy Spirit moving in our lives. And we say, you know what? You gave it to me and you've promised, you've promised that if I'll give you 10% back in the beginning, that you'll take care of the rest. I mean, I, I, I believe that God is calling us to grow and that God's spirit is blowing hard against our souls. Are we going to ignore it? Are we going to fight it? Are we going to submit to it? Let's pray. Gracious God, for your work in our lives, even now, your spirit is moving. And it is convicting us of all of the ways that we have ignored you, that we have just fought against you, that our selfish motives have been the rudder in which we have followed. Lord, forgive us, we pray. Free us to respond by submitting to your Holy Spirit. Lord, and, and allow the gifts that you have given to us out of your goodness to be used to grow our hearts in greater trust of you. This we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.